right, if you would, open your Bible to the book of Galatians. So Galatians you're going to find over in the, the New Testament portion of your Bible. After you go past the Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament, and you go past Acts, and you start to get into Paul's letters. Not long after you get into Paul's longer letters, you're going to find yourself in the book of Galatians. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the Bible in front of you, but you have your phone with you, hopefully you have a way to to access the scripture there. And as well, as we always try to do, we have uh, the words up here on the screens with us as well. We are beginning what I think, no promises on this, but what I think is going to be somewhere around about a 16-week study through the book of Galatians. And I want to give you a couple of heads up as we get started this morning on the study through the book of Galatians. Um, Would you guys bring up that first slide? Because I'm going to give a heads up, but I can't remember what exactly my points were. All right, here's the first thing. The sermon notes, I know we're not doing printed sermon notes in front of us, but if you enjoy having a little structure to the sermon, you're kind of, or it's always a good question to ask, what in the world is Owen talking about? If you ever ask yourself that question and you want to access the sermon notes, probably if you're watching online, there'll be a place that you can click or access that or find that information, but the easiest way is through our Emmaus Baptist Church app. So if you download on the App Store, whatever uh, device you're using, if you download that Emmaus Baptist Church app on the Sunday tab there, you should be access, able to access sermon notes. I know that's not a big deal for a lot of people, but some people enjoy having an outline and kind of knowing where things are going. If that's of interest to you, you know you have that. The second thing is a publishing company called Crossway makes available these scripture journals one for each book, and the way the scripture journal works is the text of the scriptures on the left side, and on the right side it has little lines where you can take notes, and the margins are really wide around the text, and so if you like to draw lines or make notes or do things like that, what we have done is we've purchased a couple of cases of these scripture journals for the book of Galatians. If you are interested in purchasing one of those to have just a scripture journal for Galatians as we go through this study, please don't get up right now if you're in the room. Uh, but, but when we finish here, you go out the back doors and you turn to the right, back where that little coffee bar is, when we could serve coffee, what it was our coffee bar, our little welcome area. Those are available for purchase for $2 uh, if you would like to have one. If you don't have actual paper money with you uh, today and you'd like to purchase one, we can either do an IOU or just pick up one next week. We'll continue to sell these for the next couple of weeks. If that's of interest to you, though, we'd love for you to be able to pick up one of those. If you're watching at home and, uh, and not able to come here in person and purchase one of those, you can get online and just search for ESV Scripture Journal for the book of Galatians. And I think you can find one probably for around $5, mostly, uh, somewhere in that range. So if that's of interest to you, I'd love for you to pick up something like that. If you just want to work, obviously, out of your own copy of Scripture, that's great. I know many of you keep your own notes in, in your Bible and you're more comfortable with that. Go for that. If you want to read ahead, next week we're going to be working through verses 6 through 10. And so I hope as we go through Galatians we can tell you what's coming and you can do your own study, your own reading ahead of time. Let me give you one more idea to maximize, so to speak, the sermon study or, or the sermon series, something to think about. We're aiming for 16 weeks. The book of Galatians has a pretty strong connection with the book of Romans in the New Testament. And so something interesting to do, if you would like to in your personal Bible reading, something I would encourage you to do, 
is each week read a chapter of Romans. So the way that this would work is we're doing our first sermon this morning. Sometime this week you say, I'm going to read Romans chapter 1. Next, the following week, you'll read Romans chapter 2. Romans cha- what that will do is, it's going to integrate a lot of Paul's work in these, in these books together because you're going to find very similar themes between Galatians and Romans. I'll send an email this week. We'll try to put reminders on Facebook about how this is going to work. But you get the drift here. 16 weeks, 16 books in Romans. If you read Romans at the same time you were studying Galatians, I think the, just the way that Scripture will open up will be pretty, pretty remarkable as, as we go through there. So, again, that's my uh, sales pitch for the Galatians sermon series that I'm super excited about. I'm excited to study this together with you, and we're just going to lay a foundation this morning with the first few verses. So let's get started. Galatians 1, this morning, just trying to create ourselves a trampoline to, to jump off of, moving ahead. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together as we dedicate this time to the Lord. Father, thank you for scripture. Thank you for the truth and the power of your word. God, thank you for what it means for a church family to be able to study through a book like this. God, that we would have a stronger understanding of the gospel and, and not just an understanding in our head, God, but that our hearts would be transformed, our lives would be transformed. God, that the word grace would come alive for us as we've seen about that this morning, we, talk, we study about that, we think about that. And God, just as Jaron prayed a few minutes ago, I pray that for anyone watching online, for anyone here who has never responded to your gift of salvation through Jesus, that today would be the day that they would trust in Jesus for salvation. God, that you would draw people to you and that we would respond in faith and worship. And God, thank you for what it means to do that as a church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we get started this morning, how about a little Christmas in July? It seems fitting uh, after whatever the heat index was and then those crazy storms last night, whatever the case might be. A little Christmas in July, if you don't have enough anxiety in your life in 2020, it's 166 days until Christmas. Uh, I don't know if that seems forever away or, or really close, like I need to start Christmas music and start putting up the tree close, I'm not sure for you, but uh, thinking about, about Christmas in July and, and that Christmas idea that we start thinking about Christmas gifts and Christmas presents, some of you have already purchased your Christmas presents, which I don't even have a category for understanding, uh, but I know that some of you really get started when it comes to, comes to Christmas presents. We also know that the year 2020, when it comes to presents, 2020 is just getting cold. Like, there's no hope for the year 2020. And I've also followed some of you guys on social media, and let's be honest, you have a lot of work to do over the next 166 days, okay, when it comes to getting presents and, and being, able to, being able to receive things. When we think about presents, when you receive a gift, 
how you respond to that gift is really important, right? Uh, who as a kid wasn't going to Christmas at grandma's and were threatened by their parents? I don't care what your aunt gets you this year, you will look thankful. You will sound thankful. Like you will respond to this gift in, in the right way. Or if you grew up in the South and this obligation, so to speak, to send thank you gifts or thank you notes for every gift you receive at every particular occasion. Amanda and I have been married 16 years and we almost have our wedding gift thank you notes uh, completed, I think. Like this idea that I receive a gift and how I respond to that gift really matters. Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers. He cleanses 10 lepers there in Luke 17. How many of them respond to say thank you? to show their gratitude. One, right? And not only one responds, but the one that responds is a Samaritan. The one that people would have considered least worthy of that gift and least likely to respond is the one who responds and returns and falls down before Jesus and he tells him that your faith has cleansed you, your faith has made you well in this situation. Luke chapter 15, you have the younger son who takes the inheritance, runs from home, lives for all of the worldly pleasure, reaches the end of his rope, hits rock bottom, which is some of, something many of you could say, yeah, I, I know that feeling. I know what it feels like for everything to seem to fall apart. And as that younger son pre prepares to return to the father, he knows that he's not worthy. And he's worried about how the father is going to respond and as he runs to the father, like we saying about, what's the father doing? Running toward him. And not only running toward him, but lavishing on him all of these gifts, all of these good things that he would have never been worthy of. And what does the older brother do in that situation? Does, does he celebrate? No, he, he doesn't, because he can't understand how the father would lovingly give his good gifts to an unworthy son. But what we know is that our God is eternally giving, and he is unchangeably good, and he loves to pour out his goodness and his favor and his mercy on his people. And as we go through the book of Galatians, as we ask the question, what is the gospel? What I want you to see as a defining characteristic of the book of Galatians is the book of Galatians asks the question, what does it mean to be worthy to receive the gifts of God? What counts someone as worthy to receive the goodness and the favor and the love of God? Because there's dispute going on in these churches about what counts you as worthy to receive those things. Do you have to keep all of the laws? Do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to follow these rules? Do you have to be a particular ethnic background? Does that in somehow make you more worthy to receive the gifts of God? And we're gonna find that that's not, not the case at all. So let's go through this. We're gonna walk. This is our foundation day. This is building the foundation. We're just gonna go through these opening verses. Watch how it begins here. We're gonna eat it apart a word at a time. Begins with Paul. When we write letters today, where do we put our name as the person that wrote it? We put it at the end of the letter. Ancient letters, the person who wrote the letter put their name at the beginning. So we, we have Paul here. Now Paul, or Paulus, in the ancient world, in Rome, it was a Roman surname. So it was niece for me, 
Smith for some of you, whatever your last name, your surname might be. This is how Paul functioned. It was a Roman surname. Even someone like Paul, who we're talking about here, who was not a Roman by blood, but had become a Roman citizen at some time, that person would often take a Roman last name, a Roman surname. So it becomes Paul. Somewhere along the line, he picked up this name. But we also know from the stories in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, that his more common Jewish name was Saul. Reaching back to King Saul of the Old Testament, that he was known as Saul, that the name change from Saul to Paul that happens in the book of Acts is less about his conversion per se and more about his mission. That when he goes from Saul to Paul, it's a sign that he is the missionary to the Galatians. Not to the Galatians, to the Gentiles. To those who are, he's ultimately going to go to the Galatians, but it means that when he takes this Roman name, and this Roman name is used by Luke in the book of Acts, it's a sign that Paul is not primarily going to the Jews He's going to the non-Jews, to what we're going to call the Gentiles. And so when you see this indication of Paul here, this is the one who was sent out. And who is Paul? How does he describe himself here? He describes himself as an apostle, one who is sent. Now the idea of an apostle here is the idea of an emissary or an ambassador, somebody who is sent out with a mission. So kids, when your parents tell you to go give a message to your siblings, you are serving as an apostle. You are one sent to go give a message, and you take, in that situation, the authority of your parents. Now, this is a good way to create fights between siblings when you show up and say, mom told you to do X. You're like, well, you're not mom. Well, yeah, but I come with mom's message. So I come with that authority. I'm giving you this message. Paul comes as one who is sent. What it meant to be an apostle, we often think, understandably so, of those 12 disciples that Jesus originally gathered around himself as the 12 apostles, and and very much they become the foundation of the church. But the word apostle can also extend beyond that to mean anyone sent out on a mission like this, sent out with a message, sent out oftentimes from the church. And what Paul is going to face here is that a lot of people are questioning whether or not he's really an apostle. They are questioning whether or not he is rightfully speaking from God. And so what you're gonna find throughout the book of Galatians is Paul having to defend his message, Paul having to defend this ministry that Jesus has given him. How does he describe his apostleship? It's not from men nor through man, meaning, Paul says, I'm not going out just because some other person said this was a good idea and I should do it. I don't need another person to validate my message. I'm going out as one sent by God. Now, here's an interesting connection. This is fun the way this kind of comes together here. In Paul's former life, before he encountered Christ, if you go back to a place like Acts chapter 9, verse 1, what you find is Paul going to the high priest and receiving a commission, receiving paperwork from the Jewish leaders to go out and cause trouble in the churches. Well, ultimately in the synagogues where these Jewish Christians were beginning to gather together. So Paul's life, up to the time that he met Jesus, he took orders from men. He took orders 
from Jewish leaders who said, go out and cause trouble. When he met Jesus, he said, my orders, my ministry, my message, no longer comes from man nor through men. It comes through Jesus. You think about the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of John the Baptist, so much of the controversy was whether or not they really had the authority they claimed to have. I know this goes back months, but when we were studying through the Gospel of Matthew several months ago, over and over and over again, Jesus' authority was questioned. Are you really from God? Do you really bring the power of God with you? The same thing is going to happen to Paul. His message is going to be questioned. His power is going to be questioned. Are you really coming from God? And he says, I'm not from men nor through man. I came through Jesus Christ and God the Father. The message I'm giving you, what I've told you, comes from God. And don't miss the power of the fact that right next to God the Father, he's able to refer to Jesus Christ. This idea that early in the church, Jesus is worshiped as God. That this is not a later thing that happened in the third and fourth century that somebody made up. Early in the life of the church, you see the power of Jesus to bring the good news of God to the world. What did God the Father do? Raised him from the dead. The power that the resurrection has for Paul. Why? Who appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. He encountered the risen Lord. For Paul, the resurrection has changed everything about the way that he lives. And we're gonna see a very key point just a little bit later in, in another verse this morning. But the resurrection for Paul has transformed the way he lives. You think about that story tucked into the Gospels about Lazarus, who is raised from the dead and continues to go out. Think about the way your life would change if you were raised from the dead, you died, you come back to life, are you gonna live differently? Yeah, you probably are gonna live differently. Guess what's true for everyone who's a follower of Jesus? You've been raised from the dead. You have encountered the risen Lord. And for Paul, it just changes everything. So he, his ministry is not because another person told him you should go out and say this. It's because God himself has sent Paul through the power of the risen Lord. But don't miss this. this is, I wanna make sure this is balanced out because it could come across wrong. Paul is not a loner, though. When you find Paul going out to do ministry, he's not doing this alone. He has people around him. He says here in writing this letter to the Galatians, and all the brothers with me. So Paul goes with the authority and the power of God, but he doesn't go as a loner. He goes as one who has brought around him those who will go with him in this ministry. Who does that sound like? Jesus. <laughs> Who comes with the power of God, gathers people around him, and then goes out with a message and a ministry that's questioned all the time? Jesus does. And in Paul's ministry, Paul's life, you're gonna find all kinds of these parallels where he just says, imitate me only because I'm imitating Christ. Do what I'm doing only because I've encountered the risen Lord and this is changing everything about me. Quick point before we, we move on to the next slide. If you ever feel unworthy to be used by God because of your past. Remember, Paul, sometimes people will say, man, I, I really wish that God would use me in a particular way. I really wish that I could, could do some of this ministry and God could use me, but you don't, know, you don't know what's in my past. God redeems our past. And not only redeems it, but 
can even use it in ministry. And so if you are ever tempted by the enemy to believe that God would never use me to do something great because of what happened in my past, let this be an encouragement to you today. And at the same time, if you're ever tempted to go off and do loner ministry and say, I don't need the church, I don't need anybody else, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing, can I call you not to do that? <laughs> and not to do that because that's not the, that's not the pattern we find in, in the New Testament. It is the work of the churches going out together to do what God has called us to do. So that gets us through the middle of verse 2. Let's look down at the, at the transition that happens there. Who's he writing to? So it's Paul. We've talked about who Paul is with these brothers with him. He is writing to the churches of Galatia. This is where those of you that love the historical context and the background and all this can come, come to light as we start to think about what does it mean? What does it mean that Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia? Now, I apologize ahead of time for my very poor map. I tried to search for a better one. Either it's high resolution but super unhelpful map, or it's a helpful map but it's low resolution. So this is what you ended up with this morning. And I left my really good laser pointer at home, and so we're going to try to navigate this on the screen uh, the, the best that we can. What does it mean that Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia? Quick New Testament scholar background stuff here, but there are two main theories about this. Whether or not Paul is writing to what we would call North Galatia or South Galatia. If Paul is writing to North Galatia, he's going to be writing to this area that would be in that box that you might see on your screen or one of the screens behind me. Over time, the province, the area of Galatia would shrink and expand depending on what the Roman Empire wanted to do at the time. Uh, so, so imagine if the borders of Oklahoma were not always the same. Like, depending on the whim of the federal government, sometimes our borders were this, and sometimes they got bigger, and sometimes we got stuck with the Texas Panhandle, and sometimes Texas took back portions and just went back and forth. In some ways, that's what happened with these provinces. They would get larger, they would get smaller. There's one theory that primarily puts Paul's work in North Galatia. I'll tell you up front, I think that's the weaker theory. I, I, I don't think it's correct. I, I'll tell you why here, here in a couple of minutes. But that is one idea among scholars. The more prominent theory is what we're going to call the South Galatia theory. And I'm pretty sure that this is who Paul is writing to. When you see in your Bible there, and it says, to the churches of Galatia, he's going to be writing to this area in South Galatia. What you're going to find there are a group of churches that are mentioned primarily in Acts 13 and 14. So as Paul begins to go out on his missionary journeys, as he begins to go out and, and establish these churches and share about the good news of Jesus, there's a group of churches down in this area, Antioch of Pisidia, Lystra, Iconium, Derbe. I know you're not going to be able to probably read those on the screen, but those are the type of churches you're going to hear mentioned in Acts 13 and 14. And now Paul, in this letter we're studying, is writing back to those churches because there's trouble starting to happen there. There are people coming in and they're causing trouble. They're saying that the gospel that Paul preached was not right. We're going to get into that next week. But there's, there's, there's trouble brewing. And so Paul writes a letter to these churches to, to try to strengthen them and, and build them up. These churches are primarily Gentile. So there's going to be some Jews, there's definitely going to be some synagogues in the area, people coming to faith from a Jewish background, but a lot of the people coming to faith in these churches are going to be coming from a non-Jewish, from a Gentile background. 
said very directly because it's helpful for the book of uh, Galatians, and I'm going to have to practice saying this out loud. So very simply, they have not been circumcised. And so they are coming from a non-Jewish background, most of the people who are coming to faith in Jesus, but you do also have a Jewish contingent. Just to orient you about kind of where we're looking on these maps, Paul, remember, is associated with a place called Tarsus. So Saul of Tarsus, Paul of Tarsus. Tarsus is this little area on the map there just to the east-southeast of Galatia. Another place that if you want to write this or make note of it just to be aware of it, it's going to be very important for our study of the book of Galatians, is another town called Antioch. Now this is the more prominent Antioch. This is the Antioch you're going to hear a lot about in the book of Acts and you're going to find about it in, in Galatians. Antioch is here. If you go south of where that box is on the screen, you're going to start to get into Jerusalem and the Holy Land, what you would recognize as, as the Middle East most, most likely. But it's good to know where Antioch is in relation to Galatian because you're going to find that Antioch has a lot to do with the controversy that's happening there in Galatia. The core of the matter is, that's fun, that's background, I love that, I know many of you do too. That kind of gives you an idea of what we're talking about, but here's the core. Paul is writing to a group of young churches who are being infiltrated, who are being attacked, I, it, it's probably not too strong of a word to even say attacked, by people who are questioning Paul's ministry questioning the gospel that he has preached to them, questioning whether or not they are fully part of the people of God. And so Paul has to deal with this. And he deals with it by writing this letter that we call Galatians. He's writing not to one church, he's writing to a group of churches because they, they together will be able to share this letter and they'll also together be able to build up one another. Don't, rem, don't, don't forget when we read the New Testament, we're tempted to read it very individualistically so it's me and Jesus doing our thing. Don't forget when you read your New Testament how group-oriented it is, how core it is that when God calls us to himself, he not only calls us to himself, but he calls us to be a part of his people. Those who are followers of Jesus are brought together as brothers and sisters, and so that's gonna guide our study. Now, what's the good news that Paul is going to give them? Verse three, here's the good news he gives them. He says to them, I'm going to talk to you in this letter, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace and peace was a common greeting, a common way to greet people in, in the ancient world, even outside of Christianity. You find this language, but when Paul begins to use it, he begins to develop all of this theological foundation under these words of grace and peace, and especially the word grace. The word grace is going to carry all the way through the book of Galatians. It's easy to remember because they both start with G, so that's nice. So when you think about, when you think about Galatians in your Bible, think about gospel and grace. Galatians, gospel, grace, it preaches because it all starts with the same letter, plus it's helpful because you can write it in your own Bible. Galatians, gospel, grace. Galatians, gospel, grace. You're going to find this theme, this thread that runs throughout the whole book, that grace is God's overwhelming goodness and favor and love poured out on his people. One caution about the word grace, we talk about gift, and that's a good way to translate and understand the word grace. The only problem with gift is it can make God's grace sound very impersonal. When we see grace talked about in the New Testament, 
Don't miss how personal it is, how it comes to us through Jesus, how the coming of Jesus is the grace of God on display. So when you, when you show up at a party and you forgot to bring a gift and you say my presence is the present for me being here at, at the party, when you mess up, that doesn't work well in social settings in the 21st century. It's great New Testament theology. God's presence is the present. He is the gift. He is the goodness of God poured out on his people. And it's grace and peace that Jesus promises peace to his people. It's peace with God. It's peace with yourself. And it's peace with others. That when we have peace with God, it brings an inner peace that doesn't come any other way. It's impossible to truly be at peace with yourself unless you understand peace with God. And when we have peace with God and we begin to have peace within ourselves, it enables us to have peace with others. You guys know as well as I do, people who are divisive and constantly in conflict with others and constantly eaten up with bitterness and anger it's not only that they have trouble having peace with other people, they don't have any peace within themselves. And it is really hard to be at peace with others when you don't have peace within yourself. And it's really hard to have peace within yourself when you don't have peace with God. And so when we talk about the peace of God poured out on his people, the whole life that God wants his people to have, peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with others, how's it come? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, what did Jesus do to make this possible? How can I have God's grace? How can I have God's peace? I need that, I want that, how do I have it? Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And what a great summary of the New Testament gospel right there. That our sins, our rebellion against God is what hinders our relationship with God. It's what breaks that. It's what breaks our relationship with others. Reconciliation, how does that happen? It happens through Jesus, who took on our sins on the cross. Basic New Testament theology, but the greatest news in the history of the world, that we can't deal with our sins on our own, but Jesus did. He, he took our sins, and he delivered us from the present evil age. In Jewish thinking, and, and even broader ancient thinking, but particularly Jewish thinking, it was so common that we lived in this present age and then there was the age to come. So this present evil age that we live in right now, then God will come to make everything right and that is going to be the glorious age to come. What makes the New Testament so powerful is that the coming of Jesus brought the age to come into this present evil age. And so we will use phrases like already, not yet, or we'll use phrases like living between the ages or between the times. So with the coming of Jesus, the age to come, God's kingdom is poured out into the world. Already that salvation has come, but we have not yet seen everything that's going to mean because this present evil age continues for a time until the return of Jesus when this present evil age is completely demolished and there's only the age to come. God's people dwelling with his people perfectly. This little graphic I first saw drawn on the, maybe a chalkboard? Maybe it was a whiteboard, I don't know. 
but by your friend and mine, Bobby Kelly. Dr. Kelly from OBU who comes every year and does Bible study with us and things like that. I remember as a 19-year-old, the first time I saw that show up on a screen or a board or however Dr. Kelly presented it to us, and it was like the whole New Testament just opened up to me of, oh, I see now. So how is it that we live as followers of Jesus and the world just seems so messed up? Or how is it that we live as followers of Jesus and we continue to battle against the realities of sin and death and pain? It's because we live in an already not yet world. We live in, the, in between the times that Jesus' victory has come and yet we've just not seen the fulfillment of all it's going to mean. So we live right now in this time. What does Paul say to us here? He says that Jesus came to deliver us from the present evil age, that we no longer live under the overwhelming power of sin and death. We have been set free from those as Jesus, even as we live fully as his people in this world. Verse four, uh, that was verse four, end of verse four. All of this happens according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen that we, as those who receive the gift of God, as those of us who receive the peace of God through Jesus, we respond by giving him all the glory. When Paul thinks about the foundation of his gospel, when he thinks about what Jesus has done, the only appropriate response is he just says, to God be the glory forever and ever. And then he concludes it with this common word, this word amen, has an idea behind it of truthfulness, of let it be so, uh, this idea of I'm putting my faith in the one who is ultimately faithful. I know that it's not particularly common in, in our church that, that we're a part of, but in a lot of churches when people are praying, you'll hear a lot of amens uh, along the way. And you'll hear sometimes even that happen when, you're, when you, there's preaching going on or something like that. It's really helpful if you're in a small group or you're in a gathered worship service and you hear people praying I don't know that you've ever sat in a small group or a Sunday school class or a worship service and, and you've gotten distracted while somebody else was praying. I can't imagine that's ever happened to you, but if it has ever happened to you because it happens to me all the time, somebody's praying, you're like, I really should be focused, but man, my mind is a million miles away from that person who's praying in our group or that person who's praying on stage. The word amen is so helpful because it's our agreement before God. Let it be so what that person is praying. And so something that I've found to be really helpful for me is when I'm in a group or I'm in a worship service and somebody is praying, I'm doing my level best just to be praying what they're praying right along with them. They say something and I try to mentally say that to myself or yes God I believe that, let that be so or God we want to see that happen because when our hearts are engaged and our minds are engaged, not only are we praying along with that person but it's impacting our soul, it's impacting our heart as we're lifting those prayers together to God. So I know it's a little word thrown in there at the end but I also know how easy it is to get distracted when somebody else is praying or somebody else is reading scripture or somebody else is preaching but what we're trying to do as the people of God say, yep, yeah, I agree with that, I believe it, let that be so. Let's do this as we get ready to kind of wrap this up and, and try to make, make sense of these opening verses that are gonna become the foundation for, for the weeks to come. The New Testament gospel, as we think about it presented here in Galatians and what Paul is doing, you're gonna find a strong, um, I'm gonna say the word polarity, but that sounded a little too complicated, just this idea that the work of God and the response of people 
divine and human. You're gonna find that all over the book of Galatians. And so I wanna sum up the gospel for us this morning in this way. God acts, we respond. You're gonna find throughout the book of Galatians this concept of God acts, we respond. God acts, we respond. God's actions of pouring out his grace and his peace through Jesus that we only have those things because God himself has made those happen, that he has acted in the world. Sins are forgiven, death is destroyed, we're rescued from this present evil age. Even the victory of that is announced, Paul tells us, because he's an apostle. Paul is an apostle because God acted, not because he thought I should go and do this. God acts and this good news is announced to the world and guess what? we are completely unworthy of it. We are completely unworthy of it, but being worthy isn't a requirement to receive and respond. You're gonna see that throughout the book of Galatians. Your worthiness, or what you count as worthy, or what other people around you count as someone being worthy of the grace of God, Paul's gonna push those categories aside and he's gonna say what counts as someone being worthy of God's grace in this world, what someone of this world might count as religious or a person that receives God's grace, God changes those categories completely. And he pours out his grace on those who the world would count as least worthy to receive it. God acts, and what do we do? We respond. We respond as those who receive this gift the gift of God poured out, we receive that gift in faith, and we might say the word loyalty or allegiance that, that all glory and praise is returned to God. God, you alone have acted. Only because of what you've done do I have any hope. I just wanna trust you. I wanna trust you, I wanna worship you, I wanna obey you, and when this gift is received, it transforms the way we live. So a person who receives grace gives grace to those who are unworthy. As we go throughout this book, reading about this, this book of Galatians, guess what? We were unworthy re to receive God's grace and favor, and there's a lot of people around you who are probably unworthy for you to show grace to them, but that's exactly what we're called to do as the people of God. God has made possible peace through Jesus, so we, as a transformed church, should be peaceful people. Those who receive grace, give grace. Those who receive peace, give peace, and we are called then to announce that good news to the world around us. One of the best ways you can do this is to remind yourself over and over and over again that I don't determine who is worthy to receive the good news of Jesus. God, take those blinders down, take those filters off where I judge a person's worthiness because of the way I see them, and remind me God, of how you work in the most surprising ways. That you work in the lives of people who are most broken, most hurting, most needy, but say, God, I'm gonna respond to you. I want to see you at work in the world. Galatians, gospel, grace, God acts, we respond. I hope we can do that over the next several weeks together. Let's pray together as we end up our time. Father, we believe that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. 
God, you give the gift of friendship. You give the gift of family. You give the gift of a church family who sticks with us through the hardest times. God, your grace is poured out on us when it feels like our life is falling apart. (laughs) Maybe it looks like we've kind of reached the end of our rope. We don't know where to turn. Everything seems to be not going the way we expected. And yet your grace and your peace and your goodness is right there because of Jesus. And God, I pray that that would not only change our lives individually, but God, that would change us as a church. That we would be filled with your spirit to be gracious to one another. We would be peaceful toward one another. We would be those who announce the good news of Jesus to the world around us. And God, I pray if there's anybody watching online or if there's anybody in this room who has never trusted in Jesus for salvation, maybe they never thought they were good enough, maybe they've been trying to get their life together, maybe they've been so confused about what the good news of Jesus was really all about. God, I pray that they would trust in Jesus for salvation today. God, that your grace and your peace would be poured out in their lives. God, you have acted in this world, and we want to respond as your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.